Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 China threatens to retaliate if Speaker McCarthy meets with the Taiwanese leader. This is why we need to do everything possible to enhance deterrence and help Taiwan defend itself. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas faces a second day of grilling from lawmakers on Capitol Hill. You know, we've seen record numbers of drugs and it's largely been ignored by this administration. Disney is the latest company to begin downsizing with a layoff of 7,000 employees. Before year's end, we are definitely going to be into that downswing where the economy is in fact contracting. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, March 30th. I'm Tasha Stevens. On Wednesday, Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, made a quick trip to New York while China threatened retaliation if she met with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Crossing the Pacific for a 10-day trip that includes stops in the U.S. and Central America. And before she even touches down, China is threatening to retaliate against the U.S. if House Speaker Kevin McCarthy follows through on an expected meeting with her. For his part, McCarthy was steadfast, saying simply that China doesn't dictate who he meets with. I don't think China can tell me where I can go at any time at any place. China believes the island nation of Taiwan is part of its territory and, as such, has warned U.S. officials not to meet with Tsai, believing that such a meeting is implicit support for Taiwanese independence. Back in August, China staged major war games around Taiwan when then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taipei. Reporter Kelly Meyer says there is no definitive date for the House Speaker to meet with the Taiwanese leader. Tensions between the U.S. and China have been ramping up over the past several weeks, from the spy balloon to China cozying up to Russia amid the Ukraine invasion. There's no set date for the meeting between House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and Taiwan's president, but it's already complicating matters more between Washington and Beijing. Meyer reports that China may hold another round of military drills should McCarthy meet with President This would make McCarthy the second House Speaker to visit with top Taiwanese leaders in the last seven months. Former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's 24-hour trip to the island nation that China claims as its own territory setting off Beijing's saber-rattling, holding live-fire military drills off Taiwan's coast. John Kirby, coordinator for strategic communications at the National Security Council, says that should a meeting happen between McCarthy and Tsai, it would be completely normal. We'll have to see what what Beijing does. We'll have to see what what they do. I don't want to hypothesize or speculate about uh, reactions here to reactions. There should not be a reaction to this since it's a normal activity. President Tsai's team says that she will stay in New York until Saturday and will also visit Los Angeles. She's expected to meet with McCarthy in California, although this is not officially confirmed. Republican Representative Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin joins the Salem Radio Network and says that he believes China is preparing for war and the U.S. needs to defend Taiwan. You could, you could call the CCP the Harry Houdini of Marxist-Leninist regimes, the David Copperfield of communism, or the Chris Angel of autocracy. So I commend his testimony Uh, to everybody. And for a while now, Xi Jinping seems to be preparing his populace to endure enormous economic pain 
and sacrifice that would ensue if they got into a confrontation with the West. This is why the cult of the Korean War has become so popular in communist China as an example of a moment when Mao risked everything to confront the West. And though the Chinese people had to endure great pain and sacrifice, they emerged as a great power on the world stage. So all of this is very concerning. This is why we need to do everything possible to enhance deterrence and help Taiwan defend itself. And I'm looking forward to joining Speaker McCarthy uh, as we greet President Tsai Ing-wen of Taiwan next week. Gallagher says that he has hope that war can be avoided if the U.S. starts taking China's threat seriously. I don't think that it means necessarily that war is imminent. A lot depends on what we do. If we get our act together, as I believe we can with the right leadership in the, in the United States, I think we can deter a war. But we have a tendency to mirror image. We have a tendency to assume that dictators like Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin play by the same rules or care about the same values that we in the West do. And if you examine the rhetoric of the Biden administration leading up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you'll see a lot of naive thinking, a lot of utopian assumptions about the fact that something like this couldn't happen in the modern era. And I fear a lot of the same naivety is guiding our view on China right now, which is why Pomfret and Pottinger's analysis is so important, because in essence, what they're saying is that we have to take what Xi Jinping says seriously. The Wisconsin representative explains that President Xi of China wants a legacy that rivals Mao's. That if there's one lesson from Ukraine is that when dictators tell you what they're going to do, we have to take them seriously. And repeatedly, Xi Jinping has said that he wants to reunify Taiwan with the mainland by force if necessary. It would be foolish to discount that possibility. Now, no doubt, He'd prefer to do it through non-kinetic or non-military means. He'd prefer to do it through what President Tsai of Taiwan calls cognitive warfare or political warfare or via economic coercion. But I think he's prepared to endure enormous pain and loss of life in order to secure his legacy as a paramount leader in the CCP pantheon on par with Mao. That's what we're dealing with here. President Tsai's office released a statement responding to China's threats, saying, quote, external pressure will not hinder our determination to go to the world, end quote. Taiwan's armed forces say they are watching for any Chinese moves when Tsai is abroad. For the second day, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified on Capitol Hill in regards to the state of the U.S. border. Well, it was round two for the DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas up on Capitol Hill today. You're right. Not as not as tense, not as loud today uh, as yesterday. Remember yesterday when uh, Ted Cruz, for example, called Mayorkas incompetent. Senator Mike Lee yesterday said that uh, Mayorkas should resign. Today was more so about budgetary matters in the Department of Homeland Security, but it did provide another opportunity for senators to question the Biden administration's posture along the southern border. Mayorkas at one point today was asked if he would call the situation at the border a crisis. He wouldn't use that exact language, instead describing it as a significant challenge that exasperated some of the Republican senators. Once again, Mayorkas seemed to be defiant in front of Republican lawmakers, stressing that despite what they believe, he says the border is secure. Republican Representative Ashley Henson of Iowa questioned Mayorkas over the agency's budget request. Secretary, are you aware of how many times um, in your budget request you mentioned the word cartel? Uh, no, no, I'm not. But I must say, I, I respectfully disagree. I, it's I respect- zero, Mr. Secretary. Oh, a congresswoman, um, we in are- the 100-page document that you submitted. You mentioned the word cartel zero. Um, 
you mentioned transnational gangs once, if that's your preferred uh, way of addressing uh, the term, what you call cartels. Um, I'm very concerned when you say you're addressing uh, the cartels in unprecedented ways. Um, the cartel activity along the southern border and in the homeland has escalated. And I can say both times that I have visited the southern border, I have seen um, that countering the cartel activity was a number one concern for our CBP agents. But it's a clear indication that you're not listening to the men and women on the front lines. Um, would you agree that the cartels are a cause of the uptick of the deadly fentanyl surge in our country um, and the violence at our southern border? Uh, I agree 100% with that, and I disagree with um, 100% of your mischaracterizations of our commitment to border security, to tackling the cartels, to battling fentanyl. And the fact is that we are supporting fully the men and women, the personnel of the Department of Homeland Security. Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana directly asked Mayorkas if he believes the border is secure. Mr. Secretary, our, our southern border is not secure, is it? When I speak of the security of the border, I am speaking of maximizing the resources we have to deliver the most effective results. So and we, let me we, assure you we, that we are secure doing so. Meanwhile, the fentanyl crisis is a pressing concern for both sides of the political aisle, as both Democrats and Republicans took turns highlighting to the secretary that over 70,000 Americans die every year. Yet the difference between the parties lay in where their focus is placed. Republicans say the lack of security at the southern border is facilitating the importation of the highly addictive drug. Republicans note recent remarks by Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz, who said that the agency does not have operational control of the border. Mayorkas pushed back, saying that definitionally there has never been operational control of the border. However, Democrats and the administration have pointed to statistics that show the majority of fentanyl is seized at ports of entry rather than between them, and therefore say that measures should be focused at the ports specifically. Sean Walsh, Swanton Sector's president of the National Border Patrol Council, says that in his opinion, Biden is ignoring the border crisis. It's not surprising with the track history for the last two years. We've seen record numbers of smuggling, record numbers of, of people being cross through the northern border, southern border, coastal regions. You know, we've seen record numbers of drugs, and it's largely been ignored by this administration. So I'm not surprised with with the way he answered those questions. Walsh believes that a large part of the blame for all the drugs and illegal immigrants coming across the border is directly tied to the White House's policies. The failed policies show it uh, all across America. Uh, the drugs, the, the people coming across... The, the lack of security on our borders for the last couple of years is going to continue to get worse until this administration takes it serious. The MBPC president says that one thing they desperately need is more agents. We need more boots on the ground, uh, as you heard. Uh, we, we need to be able to get out into the field and patrol the border. Walsh says that Border Patrol agents are at their breaking point with the lack of resources. I think we're already there. I think this administration definitely needs to take it serious. Mayorkas laid out his budget request, which proposes the hiring of over 1,400 additional Customs and Border Protection personnel, including 350 additional Border Patrol agents. Economists say that it could cost California more than $800 billion to compensate black residents for what they describe as generations of over-policing, disproportionate incarceration, and housing discrimination. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker takes a look at the numbers. Those potential reparations for harm caused by policing and housing discrimination are more than 2.5 times California's annual budget. 
California Governor Gavin Newsom signed legislation creating the panel in 2020. It has until July 1st to submit recommendations on how the state can atone for its role in perpetuating damage done by slavery. Ultimately, it's up to lawmakers to decide which, if any, reparations to approve. Opponents say California taxpayers are not responsible for slavery. I'm Julie Walker. Disney has announced that the company is in the beginning process of laying off 7,000 of its 220,000 worldwide employees due to the volatile economy. This downsize will be Disney's biggest since the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. The company laid off 32,000 workers. That was mostly from Disney's parks, experiences, and products division. The latest round of cuts have some believing that the House of Mouse will have ESPN in their sights, as there are reports that Disney, the sports network's parent company, believes there are no sacred cows. E.J. Antony, a fellow at the Heritage Foundation, joins the Salem Radio Network and says that in his opinion, the true inflation rate in the U.S. is two to three times higher than what is being reported. Inflation is, in the short run, really difficult to measure. In the long run, it's pretty easy because everything tends to go up by about the same amount. But in the short term, it's affected uh, by what government is purchasing and where the money is going at first before it has a chance to to filter out to the rest of the economy. So we have a lot of different ways to measure inflation, but all of the official government, government metrics have a lot of flaws to them, not the least of which is the fact that they fail to account for those who are affected the most by inflation and taking a more accurate measurement of the cost increases that those people are facing. And once you do that, in my opinion, you add at least two or three percentage points to the official inflation metric. The Heritage Foundation fellow believes that any progress on inflation that is made by raising interest rates have been negated by bailing out banks like SVB. Unfortunately, while we have seen some moderation in the Fed's growing of the money supply, now all of that is being reversed with all of these bailouts. Every time the Fed creates money, it is increasing the money supply. And so we have to realize that the Fed doesn't have a vault of cash. Calling it the Federal Reserve is really a mystery. It doesn't have a reserve. It creates Mm -hmm. money whenever it gives that money out. So every time the Fed finances one of these bailouts, it's reversing what we call the quantitative tightening that it has been doing for months now. Uh, Now, you have to remember that anytime the Fed acts, the effects are not immediate. You usually see months uh, pass by before those effects actually manifest themselves in the term of high, in terms of higher or lower prices. So we probably will see a lot of those official uh, inflation metrics continue to moderate. We're not going to get back to 2% anytime soon, but eight or nine months from now, what we're going to feel are the effects of all the money creation that's going on today to finance these bank bailouts. Antony warns that many countries are beginning to turn away from the U.S. dollar. We need to realize that by having the dollar as the reserve currency of the world, one of the things that that has allowed the Federal Reserve to do is export inflation abroad. And so it has isolated Americans from some, but certainly not all, of those cost increases. The rest of the world is catching on to this. And so they don't want to rely on a currency that is as volatile as the dollar has become. But on top of that, you know, there's a political point here that needs to be made. Uh, not not because this is inherently a political issue, but because politics has now invaded the monetary field. And it's this. After the, the war in Ukraine commenced, we actually confiscated dollars that were owned 
by the Russian people and by the Russian central bank. And this is not justifying at all what, what Putin has done, to be clear. But it is the case that what we did is we broke a contract that we were going to hold those dollars available for depositors. And as soon as that happened, we effectively weaponized the dollar. And as a consequence of that, a lot of countries around the world are now wondering, are we, for example, woke enough for the Biden administration? What if we disagree with the Biden administration on climate change, on gender-related issues, on abortion? You pick whatever the case may be. Countries are now wondering, are my dollars safe if this administration disagrees with me politically? And the answer to that right now is, is frankly very vague. Antony believes that by the end of the year, we will begin to see a full recession of the economy. And when we try to determine, for example, when a recession begins or ends, we have to look at a a whole host of different factors. And right now, the majority of those are pointing down, but probably not enough to really say definitively, yes, the economy is contracting right now. But what it looks right now, just given today's data, before year's end, we are definitely going to be into that downswing where the economy is in fact contracting. And I have quite frankly given up on, on all of the so-called experts who are supposed to officially determine whether or not mm-hmm. we're in a recession. Downsizing is beating up Americans in all industries lately. ESPN is simply another giant to get hit between the eyes by the rock of an unstable economy. The recent banking turmoil has been a jolt for small businesses of all stripes, spurring many to scrutinize their banking services and mull whether or not they should make changes. More on this from Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House. The turmoil added to the uncertainty already caused by stubborn inflation and higher interest rates. Experts say it's probably a good idea for small businesses to diversify funds and make sure they're in close contact with their banker. But the experts also emphasize that in the short term, Their bank accounts are safe because regulators have shown they're willing to step in when needed. Pope Francis is in a Rome hospital. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue has more on this developing story. The Vatican says the Pope will be at the Gemelli Hospital for several days with a respiratory infection. He's had difficulty breathing over the last few days. A Vatican spokesman says the Pope does not have the coronavirus. The 86-year-old had part of one lung removed when he was young. Francis spent 10 days in the same hospital in 2021 to have part of his colon removed. The hospitalization comes days before the start of Holy Week in the Catholic Church, leading up to Easter. President Biden told reporters at the White House he's learned of Francis's health problems and said he was concerned about his dear friend. I'm Ed Donahue. And finally, while many Americans struggle with math even after they graduate, two New Orleans high school students believe they have solved a 2,000-year-old puzzle in mathematics, which scientists are saying should be submitted to peer review. 2,000 years, no one's really been able to prove the Pythagorean theorem using trigonometry, and now two high school students from New Orleans East think that they have cracked it. Kelsey Johnson and Nakia Jackson from St. Mary's Academy went to the meeting of the American Mathematics Society to present their hypothesis, where they say they prove Pythagoras' theorem using trigonometry rather than circular logic. Reporter Sam Winstrom gives us a refresher on Pythagoras' theorem. It starts with trigonometry, and trigonometry is based on Pythagorean theorem. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That all sounds familiar, right? Now, what they did and that they said couldn't be done is that Pythagorean theorem could not be proved using trigonometry. That is what is known as 
circular logic. An idea can't prove itself. But what Kelsey and Nakia did is that they were able to prove Pythagoras' theorem without using circular logic, but they did use trigonometry. The fascinating thing about the equation is that for 2,000 years, no mathematician has been able to demonstrate the truth of it without simply using the equation itself as proof, what is called circular logic and not accepted as true evidence of proof. Johnson says that she and Jackson are excited to share their findings. It's an unparalleled feeling, honestly, because there's just nothing like it, being able to do something that people don't think that young people can do. Johnson's proud that she's able to show that young people aren't just about TikTok videos. You don't see kids like us doing this. It's usually like you have to be an adult to do this. Catherine Roberts, executive director for the American Mathematical Society, encouraged the young ladies to submit their work for peer review. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Tasha Stevens.